Welcome to a football show, Monday edition, following the Titans' overtime loss to the Houston Texans at home in Nissan Stadium, wearing Oilers uniforms. His name is Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall. Get into the comment section. We have a lot to discuss today on the show, of course, brought to you by Sinker's Beverages and the Kingston Group. I'm assuming Sunday made everybody want to drink more, so hopefully you used Uber Eats and you searched for Sinker's Beverages and had that booze, Zach, delivered right to your door. Hey, they drive so you can drink. I imagine that's what happened on Sunday afternoon for many of you. Uh, but I want to get want to get you guys involved, of course, in the comments today. We've got a lot to discuss. The uh, Derrick Henry certainly sounded like a player who will not be playing here anymore after the next three games. The Tennessee Titans, yes, Zach is not super upset about that part. Um, that certainly took place. Uh, who, the blame game is a part of this conversation, which is first down rushing, the offense, the ineptitude, the second half adjustments. Is it Tim Kelly? Is it Mike Vrabel? Is it the offensive line? Is it Will Levis? All of the above. How do we divvy up that pie? So we'll do some of that uh, as well today. So a lot to get to uh, on the show. There's some theories about sort of Will Levis. You and I were talking before the show about, you know, what kind of quarterback Will Levis can be ultimately. Uh, and we can discuss some of that. Uh, but I think I want to start here. Again, great, great sponsor, Sinkers Beverages, Kingster Group. I want you guys remember those names. But I'm going to start right away here on, on this. Um. This is one of the worst-looking losses that I can remember living in this city, and certainly one of the worst-looking losses for the Mike Vrabel era. Uh, Roger McCreary is one catch away from winning the game. Nick Folk, extra point away from winning the game. We can point to a lot of singular... By the way, not an interception guy. He should just knock the balls down. He <laughs> will never get an interception. He tries his best, right. and I get that, you know, they want just drop it down. Just, just knock them down. Uh, hello, Carlos uh, from Memphis. Great to have you with us today. So if, again, if you want to jump into the comments, we will give you some space today. Uh, Andrew already says time to tank. We'll, we'll look again. Uh, they, the Titans aren't tanking. They're just no. bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if yesterday happens again, which I can't imagine it should, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, the, the the benefit is that you just lose a game and you move up in the rankings of the draft. That That is the benefit of the loss. That's the, it. I don't think they moved at all. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> So here, here's ultimately why, and I think you mentioned this actually, and I was just watching this, you, you mentioned it, and, I, and this is why great minds think alike, of course. You, you started your Stack in the Inbox. I recommend going sub subscribing to stackintheinbox.com. Um, this has to be the bottom for Mike Vrabel. Th that's it. Full stop. This loss has to be the bottom because the context around this loss is the, is the worst of his entire tenure, in my opinion. And it's not all on him. We'll get to who it's all on. But this is a you, you were trying to rub salt in the face, in the wound of your division arch rival where you stole their uniform. You stole their name. You brought it to Tennessee 25 years ago and you were going to rub it in their faces without their star quarterback, without some of their best players. You are at home on Frank Wycheck day with a 13 to nothing lead. You cannot lose the game. You can't lose the game. And it's not, again, like I said, a couple of plays here and there. Maybe it wasn't the worst performance of the season by the Tennessee Titans. Maybe it was. <laughs> but ultimately, the context around this, you, it, it, it's unacceptable. And on top of it all, you, your starting rookie quarterback, who is the thing that you are all grabbing onto for development and excitement in the future, goes down in the exact same way as his predecessor with seven sacks and a busted-ass ankle. This well, is and unacceptable, and it has to be the bottom. It has to be the bottom, Zach. This is the bottom. It, it can't get much worse than yesterday because of the Oilers, the legends at the game, because of, you know, Frank Wycheck Day, because you're at home as well, and who the opponent was and what they fielded. I mean, they can't get much worse. I can't think of a worse way to lose a game in the context and the environment, everything involved. Like, I mean, it was one of the worst losses. And to me, an owner who probably is not, I would, I, I believe an owner that does not handle really embarrassing losses very well. I would say that I don't know how much we're going to hear the rest of the way from Diana Rossini or whatever mouthpieces may be out there from the Tennessee Titans that no chance Mike Vrabel's gonna not going to be here, uh, Tennessee Titan head coach. Like, I I have to think that Amy Adams-Strunk really has a tough time 
stomaching that loss yesterday. Yep. And I don't blame her. I have a, hey, listen, I'll be honest. I went out right after the game. We went hotel bar hopping, and I didn't think once about the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and I woke up today, woke up really late, and, like, the first thing that I thought of was, man, I bet Amy Adams Strunk was pretty fucking pissed and embarrassed yep. yesterday. Yep. And I would assume that I whatever chances that you have given Vrabel to be here next year, whether it's 0% or 100% that he's going to be here, one of those things have fluctuated in the wrong direction uh, or for Vrabel's job safety in the wrong direction for Vrabel's job safety. You may be okay with it. Who knows if you're listening to this podcast and you're fine that now the chances have increased that Mike Vrabel may not be here or they may be open to the idea of trading him. It doesn't matter. I think that you look at yesterday and we'll talk about the blame game, which is just like chicken in the egg is kind of how I describe <laughs> it. Um, it's just like an endless, it's like a snake eating its own tail. The the Ouroboros of Titans blame. Yeah. Um, but like, it, it, you're right. It's the worst loss, in my opinion, in the Tennessee, in the Mike Vrabel era. Now, we have seen some, like the Browns, the Eagles, the, the Packers snow game. But what this, the context around this game versus those other games that are just like a regular season game is that you got eliminated from the playoffs on top of everything else. 100% eliminated. The earliest that you've been eliminated from the playoffs since Wizenhunt, and the earliest in the Mike Vrabel era by far, you did not build a competitive team against a team with Case Keenum, Noah Brown, and Devin Singletary. Right. That is not a vaunted offense. What was it the early, I was thinking about this and I should have double checked it, but I was driving in a car, so I didn't have a chance to. I'm pretty sure the only time Vrabel has been eliminated from the playoffs is in the last game of the regular season. I believe. So I think this is the only time it's ever happened where they have more games to play. And yeah. and I, I, I again, for those who are pro Mike Rabel and 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 for those who are asking, who are sort of on the fence and are anti maybe and want to see Amy Adams drunk make a move or don't know about the future of this. When people say, well, what has Mike Rabel done to prove he belongs? I'm like, that's part of the context that he's literally had a winning team every single year. But one at 2019 AFC championship that he took a t coach of the year with 91 record injuries. And last year with a shell of a football team was one quarter away from winning the division and getting back to the playoffs. Again, he has done more with less than almost every year of his entire career. And I think that context is important, but to me, to, to the point that we're making about this particular game, again, you put all the context around it, a third string quarterback who was off the street came into your stadium, a division rival, Granted, a, a, a better football team than they were last year, albeit a shell of themselves, in particular on offense. And in your uniforms, trolling them, they beat you on your field on Frank Wycheck Day with a third-string quarterback and took your quarterback out. This ha when you look back, when you look forward on Mike Vrabel, if he is here for five more years, six more years, eight more years, and he's successful like we think he can be, and Rand Carthon has another good draft class, and they do their job in free agency. And the rebuild is sort of fully, whatever you want to call it, right? Glow up, whatever you want to call it. Don't care what you say, what you call it. This, this, this rebuilding of the roster to add talent. Th that Sunday, yesterday, has to be the bottom of the barrel. Like you can't, you can't go any further below that. <laughs> it has to be like, well, that's where it turned around, right? You know what I mean? Like you know how you get to the top of the mountain and you come back down the other side. That has to be the bottom. You can't go any lower than that. Otherwise, you do starting. You do begin to have conversations about where this coaching staff's future is. I, th I think those conversations are happening. I mean, I, I really do. I, I think it'd be. A, I I think an ownership group like like this, seeing what they've seen dating back to last season, you have to assume that they are at least talking about okay what are our options what's the pros what's the cons what's the the chances that we get this person where are we at in the franchise what can Rand Carthon bring that they I'm not saying that they are I guess necessarily but they definitely should be like that that's you should definitely have those kinds of conversations at this point in the season especially be having those conversations 
after a loss like yesterday. And I would I would be very surprised if they didn't he, have those conversations. Here might be an interesting question I had not really thought of until just now. Amy Adams Strunk, who is she having that conversation with? Like a bunch of non-football guys. Those <laughs> like are not having you know, she doesn't have any football people to 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 lean on in her circle unless she's talking like Tommy Smith, I guess. I mean, maybe she's talking to him. Uh, maybe she's talking to maybe past GMs. I don't know. I don't that she has came in contact with. Maybe she's talking to I I, I don't know who she would be talking to. So like, she, I mean, right. she's obviously got a circle of of advisors, you know, presidents and CEOs inside the building, but they're none of them are football guys. Bingo. That's that's ultimately my, my point is if you're having this conversation to evaluate Mike Vrabel, which, by the way, I want to be very clear. I, I don't think they should fire Mike Vrabel after, after they, he, we yeah. just saw his brilliance like a week ago. So let's not go crazy. I'm, I'm good those. with trading Mike Vrabel, but I'm not uh, for a certain price. I got a floor of a price you have to meet. Sure. But I mean, I'm I'm out on firing him. But but Amy Amy and I and I trust Amy Adams Strunk to make a lot of great business decisions. About I think she's done a brilliant job of rebuilding the trust inside of the community. New Titan Stadium deals, notwithstanding to the to the opponents of that deal and understanding why they oppose that deal, blah, 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 whatever that. But by and large, she's done a lot of really good work to sort of like reattach the Titans brand into the Nashville market. Now, none of those people showed up, of course, uh, on on Sunday or the last few games, and I'm assuming won't show up in the last couple of games. Uh, which, I, I just don't think she has a lot of folks in that room that she can rely on from a football standpoint. I think she has to talk to herself about it, which is why I don't think Number one, it's going to lead to anything right now. This is what my ultimate point is, I guess, about it being the bottom. If it's not the bottom and there are more games that are worse optically than yesterday, then there's probably an answer to the Mike Vrabel future question. If if yesterday was, in fact, the bottom and you continue to see Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon work, beginning to find a groove together, and they figure out free agency, and they figure out the draft, and they have another draft class like last year, then yesterday will be the day we look back on and we say, that was the bottom. That's when we hit rock bottom. We got off the sauce. We went to the meetings. We're clean and sober. We're ready to roll. That's going to that's gonna be what Sunday needs to be for the organization. Now, let me ask you this. Would you trade Mike Vrabel for Bill Belichick straight up? No. What would you need if you got Belichick in return? What would you need on top of Belichick? I would need two first-round picks. Ooh, with Belichick. I, I do not tr- yeah, I do not think that Bill Belichick I think Bill Belichick's on the downward trend of his career. I, I don't I don't think that he's who he was at the peak of his power. And I think that he he's gonna want to be GM, which furthers neuters Rand Carthon, and he's a terrible GM, <laughs> Bill Belichick is. So I am I would need many first round picks in return. And it doesn't have to be like their first round pick this year, but I would need many first round picks okay. and future picks t- to go along with them. But then he's just going to waste them because he's I, not very good. I am. I am not anywhere near firing Mike Vrabel or Tim Kelly, not even Shane Bowen yet. Maybe some other guys that Vrabel deems haven't done their job this year. We can discuss that. But I, I for like personally, when I feel that way, we'll come on the show and we'll start it that way. And we'll just say, hey, brought to you by Seekers Beverages and Kingston Group. It is time to move on from Mike Vrabel. We'll say that and we'll come out and, and talk about it that way. I'm not even close to there at, at this point. Could you get, is it always worth listening to a good trade offer? You're not doing your job if you don't. So I think you have to listen to any good trade offer. Uh, but Jason says, I feel like I've seen this exact game, same game, multiple times in the Vrabel era where it's a slog until the last minute death, just a miserable and inevitable game to sit through. I agree with that point. Like, again, you look at the losses this year, overtime to the Colts at home, four at Pittsburgh, eight against Baltimore, one score game there, seven at Indianapolis, one against New Orleans, three times you've lost by three points or less. So you're a couple of plays away from having a better record. You're a couple of plays away from being, you know, really bad. I think it's the context of of the and the optics of Sunday's game that, that is different. It, but it also, is, I've seen, I've watched multiple teams with multiple games where they slog to the last minute of death. It just it's not just a variable thing. It's been yeah, an offensive train wreck for the most part in the NFL for these last few years, where you just see 
terrible offensive line play. And I think Jeff Schwartz and Mitch Mitchell Schwartz and a couple of other, those guys have gone on record and said the way that offensive linemen are brought through the ranks from high school to college, to the NFL is not conducive. They are not all you. It's very rare to find day one year one, all pro offensive linemen. So right now, it's just it's just tough sledding for a lot of the league because a lot of the league is filled with bad offensive linemen. You look at the offensive line, uh, and specifically the tackles that were that were signed in the offseason. They are the worst offensive linemen for their respective teams. Mike McGlinchey, terrible. He counts for more pressures and more sacks on that offensive line than any of the other players on that offensive line. Orlando Brown, same thing. Donovan Smith, same thing. Um Jawan Taylor, I believe he's the one that that there's two Taylors. I can't remember which Taylor it was, but Jawan Taylor, the one that plays for, I believe, the Broncos. He's terrible. Uh, And then, of course, Andre Dillard. He's terrible. They all account as some of the worst offensive linemen on their teams, and they were all free agent tackles. So I I will be putting in a request, and I was thinking about this this morning, actually. I'll be putting in a request once the season is over to see if I can get a couple of minutes of of Rabel on the side to because obviously he – He's he's a big coach of like individual skill sets, right? He's got a son who plays offensive line, and I want to talk to him about sort of the position because I've floated this on this show for the entire season on my SEC show as well because big time college football is having the same problem. Offensive line development is is a major problem across the sport, high school, pro, college. Some of that is because the other positions get seven on seven tournaments and are are getting thousands of more reps throughout the course of their entire growth and development. That, that's one answer. But I want to talk to coaches about it. I put in some requests for SEC coaches as well to try to figure out, like, what is the pro- what's the actual thing here that's going wrong? Because it's it's bad. It's it's bad across the board on every level. So uh, it is absolutely a thing that, that is happening. I do think Vrabel's uniquely qualified to talk about it because he has physically coached his son to play the position. <laughs> so um, hopefully we'll get an opportunity in the off season. It's not an in season kind of conversation, but normally you can get that stuff from a coach um, off to the side and, you know, some of these events and stuff. So we'll try to do that. Um, Sinkers beverages, Kingston group are two great sponsors, BuildKG.com, And of course, Sinkers beverages, two time liquor store of the year in Nashville, Tennessee, and their sister store bluegrass up in Hendersonville. Uh, this is the week to go volunteer, by the way. If you want to be up there in Clarksville, Hendersonville, and Madison, this is the week to volunteer. Go check out those city websites and find out what they may need because this is sort of the second pass-through of the cleanup operation in those communities. So go check that out. Bluegrass, of course, located up there in Hendersonville. Um, so I want to get to the the offense here then because on the first 14 plays, they had 113 yards. They had three X plays. They scored a touchdown. They then ran 49 plays for 91 yards. The rest of the game, we have talked ad nauseum about the second half slogs. They had a 13 to nothing lead. No excuses not to have won this game, not to have put another point on the board, put another score on the board, one more scoring drive, something. Um, And I want to know, like, obviously, 22 first downs, 12 runs, 10 passes, uh, five yards was the max run play on a first down run. Um, I want to say of those 12 first down runs. 10 of them went for two yards or less. So largely completely ineffective, kept going with it. We, everybody knows the Derrick Henry stat, right? The, the least amount of production for a player with 20 touches in the history of the game, basically, um, since 1948. Tim Kelly, offensive line, Mike Vrabel's influence on the entire operation. Where do we start to dissect and, and break up the, the blame pie here for the offense is ineptitude not only on Sunday, but also consistently in second halves of games this year. I think it's just it's a 50-50 split, I guess, between the the staff and the offensive line at this point. Um, I mean, I I this look, you know. Oh man, I, I saw someone say that Shane Bowens should be sweating. Well, he can't, you know, make players not miss tackles. They were in the right spot to make stops in almost all those plays against Dave, Devin Singletary, but they missed tackles. So like, I, I mean, they, they were in the right position. Like it's just players not executing. So I don't know why Bowen would be sweating based off this game yesterday. And I don't, 
I don't have faith that hoteling is a good coach, but I don't think there's going to be any offensive line coach that really comes in and turns around this group of, yeah. of people yeah. besides maybe like the Philadelphia Eagles coaches or Dante Scarnecchia or Mike Munchak. Like that, the, this, this group is not bad love of, of offensive line coaches that are going to get something yeah. out of this. Yeah. And then I look at Tim Kelly and Mike Vrabel, and I look at this offensive line, and it's just I, – I don't know what to do and how to parse blame because it's its like we talked about, the Ouroboros of offense. You, you, you have a terrible offensive line that is getting bullied on the run, in the run game, and the pass blocking game. So neither thing is going to work for you. You have then a quarterback that's getting hit getting sacked on 21% of his dropbacks. So is the solution to go more dropbacks so he can get hit more? <laughs> or is it to continue running so he can get hit less, but you're ineffective? Like it's, 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 I, I, I have a real hard time blaming Tim Kelly, but you can also change up your personnel. You can also do things that can help may not work, right. but, Instead of running Derrick Henry, you should run Tajay Spears. Instead of long developing passes down the field, you can do some um, short, you know, quick slants to maybe help get him in a rhythm. But you also have to have a quarterback that wants to look at those short, quick slants and not want to look deep. And listen, I'd rather have the guy that goes deep and takes chances down the field and try to teach him to reel it back in than have the guy that's too gun shy to go deep and take chances. Cause you can't well, coach that it's, you can it's, coach to reel it in. So it's yeah. just like, you can't, what is Tim? Like there isn't, everybody's like, well, you can move the pocket and you can move. Will Levis out. Oh, so he can go throw an interception and miss Traylon Burks on his, one of his few rollouts. Yeah. Like yeah. it was just, there's nothing to do. Everything that could go wrong went wrong yesterday for the offense. That there was just nothing. they, they don't have an answer for it. There was just nothing to do. There's no answer. Like, right. I mean, I don't I, know what I'm, anybody expects this team well, to really do with this offensive line playing as terrible as it did. I have some open-ended questions. I want to ask you about this, but uh, for example, you mentioned Spears versus Henry is 3.3 yards of carry better than 0.6. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. It's not gonna, it's not quote unquote winning football. But it is it's significantly better than than Derek, running Derrick Henry into the wall. Um I and I look, we'll get to Will Levis's sort of passing chart. I think there's some interesting information there about the intermediate passing game and how this is the the missing piece of his game right now is sort of the intermediate passing game. We'll get that in a second. I, I'm also curious about Vrabel's influence on the game because this Houston defense is not the same Houston defense that 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 Derrick Henry's had multiple 200-yard games against. This is a far Correct. better defense coached by a I think one of the more brilliant defensive linebacking minds that is coaching it's defense a, right it's now. It's a top 8 run defense. Sometimes top 5 depending on where you look. So minimum top 8 run defense. And, and I and I you talk a little bit about this in stacking the inbox. I assume you're going to talk about this on football and other words. I know that James Foster is coming on the Hot Read Pod on Tuesday, so check that out to discuss this question. But ultimately, how much of Tim Kelly's offense is being influenced by Mike Vrabel? How like head coaches are supposed to be you want your head coach, especially one of Mike Vrabel's defensive acumen to be in the meeting room preparing the, the unit. All head coaches are in the meeting room. Right. And honestly, they're all, they're all, they're not like just saying, Oh, well, my offensive coordinator right. is going to game plan right. for me. And my defensive coordinator is going to game plan for me. And I'm not going to say a damn thing. Right. Come it, on. It's their head coaches. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like the politician not being involved in the debate prep or some shit like that. Like it's ridiculous. Like, of course they're involved. Yeah. The, the question is they have d done a clearly good job of preparing this team to come out of the gate with scripted X, Y, or Z. It's been a pretty good part of their offense if there has been a part. Again, a very flawed offense, very flawed statistics, very flawed talent-wise, all the stuff you said. So I'm I want to I'm curious if you go back and look at Tim Kelly's sort of track record, it comes off the Todd Downing and the Art Smith sort of system. It's not all that different. They they're gonna run some of the same concepts, and they have run a lot of the concepts that they were running in Houston. Um, some of those overlap with what they were doing in Tennessee for the last couple of seasons. But I'm curious, like how much of Vrabel is, and I'm not saying part of the problem doesn't sound like the right thing, 
but how much of Tim Kelly's because I think he's a better play caller than than Todd Downing from like an instinct instinctual feel standpoint, right? Like there's a there's an innate ability to call a play at the right time because you've stacked it in a way that leads the defense to react. And I think he's clearly better. Todd Downing had no feel for that. I want to know Mike Vrabel's influence on the amount of the offensive game plan. For example, when you run the ball 12 times on first down, get no yards, continue to pound Henry into a defense. Like what that is that all on Kelly? Is that Vrabel leaning on Kelly? It, that, that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. Well, I, I think that the it, it's tough to say. So like the the Tennessee <laughs> Titans. And I'm trying to say this as as carefully and methodical as possible. The Tennessee Titans do not have an offensive line. And there's not going to be anyone that can come in to elevate that offensive line. There is no head coach. There is no this. If you put Andy Reid may be the only one, but if you put Sean McVay here with this talent, this I think your outlook is going to be the same. I, it may even be a little bit worse. But if you put Sean McVay here, it's not going to change anything that you see. It's not, because right now they're trying to limit the hits. Now, whether uh, on Will Levis, this offense, 50 sacks already this year, yeah. who's left to go beats last year. Okay. To limit the only way to limit your hits on Will Levis is to make sure that he doesn't have to drop back and pass. And they're running. On first downs in the first and second quarter. So the reason I did first downs in first and second quarter is because to eliminate teams that get ahead and run the ball. So very few teams have this overwhelming lead by the first half, <laughs> by the first first quarter to where they are going to run it the rest of the right, way, right? right? They are 10th in run rate on first downs. The problem is they are 16th in yards gained. Yeah. <laughs> on runs of first down. So when you're running that much and then you're, and then you're not gaining enough yards on average that much, that's a, t that's a bad combination. And most of the teams in the top 10 are in that same boat. They're running a lot, but they're not really doing a lot with it, but the, but they're at 52.5%. Well, San Francisco is just a few spots down. They're at 50%. So we're talking about a 2.5% swing, but they have an amazing offensive line. Like these people who think, that okay, well, if Mike McDaniel or uh, Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan come here and they had this same group, they're doing light years better. They're going to be so much better on offense. Don't pay attention to what they have at their respective locations, right? <laughs> you you look at Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. Well, that those two guys aren't here. Okay, Trent Williams Kyron is Trent Williams, Williams out there? <laughs> Kyron Williams is not here. The Mike McDaniel went and traded for Tyreek Hill. Sean uh, Kyle Shanahan went and traded for Trent Williams and the Christian Titans McCaffrey. Not in the position to do that kind of stuff. They went and yeah. traded for Christian McCaffrey. Yep. We've seen bad Kyle Shanahan offenses when they're the quarterback isn't that great. When the offensive line isn't that great. When he was in Cleveland, he they they can only do so much. So I think Superhorn on Twitter put it best. He said coaches are force multipliers for good teams. They're it, it's personnel, man, like personnel I, goes. I, I completely look, agree. You talk about, and you talk about the Tennessee Titans and like, Oh, well players leave and they're all of a sudden healthy. Christian McCaffrey leaves the Panthers and he's all of a sudden healthy. Like that, that trade was very eye raisingly peculiar, but they're not going to come in and do anything vastly different than what you see here. So the Tennessee, so Mike Vrabel, because we've seen like EPA per play is almost directly tied to your pass blocking unit. So your quarterback is only as good as his pass blocking unit. And it, it's like that for the Tennessee Titans, you know, in 2020 and 2019, when their offensive line was a, a pretty damn good pass blocking unit and the quarterbacks were kept clean, they were an efficient, efficient team this comes down to and maybe this is a blind spot for mike frable and that maybe needs to be something addressed this comes down to offensive line issues and and mike Vrabel is trying his best to 
take what they what he's got and make it work with a dreadful offensive line. Now, I am not sure why Derrick Henry continues to get the carries that he d- did in yesterday's game. Usually, when stuff like that is going wrong, they switch and give Tajay Spears yeah. more snaps, more touches, and try to use him. And yesterday, they didn't. So I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. <laughs> and I think because they were at home in the Oilers uniforms that he was so disengaged last week in the win in Miami. He was just sitting there staring off to space and not because he wasn't very good. I think they really and I think they really hammered home this whole, you know, Houston Henry versus Texans. Yeah. We're going to break a big one, and I think they just really screwed themselves in that regard. It doesn't mean that Tajay Spears is going to change the outlook or out, output of this game. This offensive line just sucked yesterday. And ultimately, they were getting bullied without, have, without the Texans stacking the box. That, to me, is like the ultimate disrespect yeah. about this whole situation, is that this has to be the least amount of eight-plus defenders he has seen Derrick Henry has ever seen because he only saw it on 6.25% of his runs. And and that has to be the lowest by far. Well, and it's not just like and I, every every game they start the game with this stupid fucking stat where it's like 50% of Derrick Henry's carries he's made contact at at or behind the line of scrimmage like number 2 in the NFL. And it's like, yeah, we we got it. We know the offensive line's terrible. And so if I'm getting to the original question and trying to blame what what's really the problem, it is it is it is talent. It is humans. It's dudes. It's lack of ability. And it's not just the offensive line. The offensive line is like, I don't know, like 48% of the, the entire pie of blame. Then in the receiving core is like 12%, you know, the blame or something like that. Levis is, deserves a, a chunk of this blame, but he's the rookie and he's not really getting a lot of help. So you don't, it's at the, it's near the bottom. I, I do think, you know, I think yesterday, Sunday felt like, and, and again, I'm all for analytics occasionally being pushed to the side for a feel decision. Like a coach feels like, hey, we're up 13 nothing. We need to be conservative in this situation because this is how we're going to beat this particular team. This is my feel. Maybe that's the right call. Maybe it's the wrong call. But I understand sometimes a coach who's been around the league for 30 years as a player and a coach doing that type of thing. Maybe going against the analytics to some degree, running the football on first down, right? Like, I'm okay with occasionally coaches just saying, like, no, this is a, a feel. I, I want to play it this way because this is how I feel we're going to give us the best opportunity to win. And it felt like Mike Vrabel, it felt like Mike Vrabel impact on Tim Kelly was a part of the Houston Texans division uniforms, Derrick Henry thing. Uh, it's there's maybe it's, we're completely wrong about that. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but it certainly felt that way. I, I don't think Tim Kelly is at the top to me again he's at the bottom i also it's year one we want stability for will levis etc etc but it it, it, i agree that it's talent but i think there's more variable on this particular loss on the offense than normally we would say and i I don't know what that means moving forward I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, what did you want them to do yesterday? I, I mean, I <laughs> when you when you when you can't answer that question, then I, I don't know. I don't know how we can sit here and say. I think there's two different things that everybody's everybody's trying to do, and that's like they're trying to combine multiple questions into one blank. Is Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly really to blame for yesterday's game? But, and that's one question. And then the other question is, could the Tennessee Titans be better off moving from Mike Vrabel to an offensive head coach? Those two aren't really directly tied together. They can be if you really want them to be. But I have a hard time figuring out, like, yesterday, like, you know, I I didn't, wasn't really crazy about anything that they did yesterday. I really wish they would have tried Tajay Spears more. I wish Will Levis would have hit Traylon Burks. I wish they would have tackled. You know, I wish they would have yeah. done this. But ultimately, the players didn't execute, right? I mean, Jalen Duncan and Peter P- Aaron Brewer is getting behind Peter Skaronsky in his blocking lane, and he's stepping on feet, tripping over uh, Brewer. Duncan is, like, not passing off people correctly. And 
Because everybody's like, well, Skaronsky, he's looking like Chance Warmack. Yeah, he had a bad game yesterday, no doubt about it. But he's he's a prime rib playing between microwaved fish and a <laughs> boiled chicken. Like, I mean, this isn't like Aaron. At this point, the Tennessee Titans have to go tackle, tackle center in the draft. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean, which one's first, but it's got to be tackle, tackle center. Like, well, it could be left tackle, right tackle, but that's where they're at because that's how you're going to have to fix this offensive line. It's not going to get fixed in free agency more than likely. No, and, and again, I don't think uh, if we're doing the whole pie of blame, there's a big chunk that's on the defense. Could not tackle in open space when they gave up 150 yards rushing. It's the seventh time in the last 10 games that they've allowed at least 128, 130 yards rushing, almost five yards a carry yesterday. Singletary slashed them up and down. Rabel said, he goes, missed tackles, some missed fit, run fits, and but really just like some missed tackles. <laughs> so it's clear that they, they did not play particularly. I know that they only gave up the 19 points, 16 in regulation. Like I get all of that, but that was against Case fucking Keenum. Without Nico Collins, without C.J. Stroud, without like it was backups and a third string quarterback. And they ran the ball when they needed to. They outproduced through the air when they needed to. You know, again, so it's the the, the pie blame goes to the defense as well. Like special teams, you can mm -hmm. you can take a little piece as well if you want. Nick Folk missing an extra point. Like we can pass it all around. The offensive line is number one. It gets the most blame and you cannot fix that. It doesn't to your point. It does not matter. God himself cannot come down here and get more out of this offensive line than they already have. Like it well, is what it is. How much it matters. So. Right. So Kyle Shanahan, you know, gets to the 49ers in 2017, right? Not very good first year. And then he, they proceed to get worse in 2018. And then here comes the renaissance of just getting all these players that hit in the draft, getting offensive skill players, getting the offensive line fixed, getting a better quarterback play. He starts doing all this. Players are more important than coaching. I, yeah. I think you can look at a team like the Eagles, right? I don't think that their coach, Nick Sirianni, is some great coach, right? I don't think I, they I, are. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think but they fine. have loads and loads of talent. And so their record is always going to be pretty high as long as they have the loads of talent that they have. And they have some talent courtesy of the Tennessee Titans. Right. <laughs> But players matter. That's why it's so important that people remember that, like, John Robinson is the reason that they're in this mess. You know, I see people saying, well, why don't they just try Skaronsky at left tackle these last three games? Here's why. Because Dylan Radins is a great example of he's not a good tackle. And there's a reason why he was not ever considered to be a tackle. And there is a reason that Skaronsky is not being considered to go over to left tackle. It's because he's a guard. No, no, he's a guard. It's more important for Skaronsky to play guard. Yeah. Because you know what? He's going to play guard next year. So what's the fucking point in putting him at left tackle? Because he's not going to be your left tackle of the future. And it doesn't matter anymore. He's a guard. Get over it. And, and I don't love the phrase rookie wall in general, but we're right about the time where a, a rookie who is playing more football games now than he's ever played in the history of his career in any fall in the history of his entire life begins to start like there's tape on him now people know how to attack him and this is the first time he's ever had to deal with the month of december like that that is a thing that happens in in football that i think is totally acceptable now what would i do i think something drastic like starting spears at on every play and taking D D derrick henry out of the entire lineup completely and making him a full-time backup would be a pretty drastic visual for titans fans but i think that's something that tim kelly i believe hypothetically would have done yesterday if not for Mike Rabel, in in theory. Uh, let, let's point out some things you said. I, I feel like the usage of Derrick Henry was very much a, you know, an attaboy, pat you on the back. We're going to get you going because we believe in you and blah, 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 Oilers and all this stuff, and it just failed. He, failed. he was asked today, Mike Rabel was asked today a few questions that were sort of like, about accountability and about the offensive line. And he had a few like one word answers. If you ask Mike Vrabel a yes, no question, and he can say no and move on. Sometimes he's going to take the opportunity. Most of the time, most coaches take the opportunity. When you ask a close ended yes or no question, they're going to say no or yes, whatever the answer suits them. But he was then asked a close ended question about Derrick Henry. And he gave a pretty long answer today. 
And I, I thought that was interesting to note because while he said he did his throat clearing and <clears throat> Derrick Henry's still a great player and still has got to get him moving on to the second level and he can stiff arm and he, he took the time when he could have just said yes or no to the question and moved on and been Mike Vrabel. He took the time to really talk about the fact that they have to be better. That the guy's got, he's got, you got to help your tight ends. You got to help your running backs. You got, you got to, the offensive line needs help. You got to hit the hole faster. Like he took time to say that. And he doesn't normally do that with, with Derrick Henry, maybe. And so maybe that's a, a theory that he is, has taken that from yesterday's game. I, we can get into Will Levis's intermediate passing game here because I think if they have any intermediate passing game at all, which they, the statistics say they sort of do not relative to the rest of the league, I think that's where yesterday could have been helpful. Uh, because if you're going to go first and go first and 10 and run the ball for two yards, you better have some really good, like four to 11 yard, four to 12 yard plays that you've got cooked up and they got nothing in that department right now. And the numbers back it up. That's not Will Levis's strength. I understand, but they've got to figure some of this stuff out. And, and that's that, that part's on Kelly and Vrabel and Levis and the receiving core, not necessarily the offensive line. Although again, everything goes back to the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of is on the offensive line because, I mean, you're allowing pressures and sacks and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it's really on Levis to start. He talks about it. The Tennessee Titans have talked about it, that not every play has to be the the hero ball play. And he has to start taking, like, one of the sacks, first down sacks when he was passing, which was very few. So I think there's only, like, one or two pass plays. But he had two open routes underneath that he could have thrown the ball to. Instead, he takes he, he gets sacked because he's going for the deep shot and he's holding on to the ball to do it. You know, we're talking about like he he's the highest. He's number one in attempt percentage. So the percentage of his attempts that go for 20 plus, he's number one in, in the NFL, 32. in the NFL, yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, not the MLB or the NBA, but he's number one in the NFL. Such a fucking smart ass. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know why you had to clarify. Uh, he's ten to in ten to nineteen, so that's your intermediate throws. He's nine. He's he does nineteen percent. That's twenty two of thirty three quarterbacks. Okay, so that's not enough in the intermediate range because if you look at it, was twenty nine point five for CJ Stroud. A lot of his stuff is in the intermediate range, and he was number one in the NFL. He's 34 of 34. So he's dead last in attempts percentage at zero to nine. And he's 10th in behind the line of scrimmage. So, so these screen passes, they're just so fucking dedicated to. Uh, he is seven. He's 10th out of 32 in that. So 17.7%. So the bulk of his stuff are screens or deep passes. When you look at the, the percentage now, that means that they need to let him go zero to nine, 10 to 19. That means fewer dropback steps, you know, your zero to one, your, your five steps or less, you know, kind of thing. Um, but the problem is that on his pressures, he has the most pressures on short passes. He has the, and he has 16 pressures. So that's 29 pressures on short passes. He has 16 pressures on medium passes. So he's getting he's getting pressured on the stuff that you need him to up on, but you can't because the because the offensive line sucks. You know, like it's just there is no it all comes back to the offensive line. And yeah. they're trying to do their best with the offensive line. And I get it. Their best is not good enough, but this offensive line does not let you be good enough. It does not let you run a McVay kind of style of offense. It does not let you run Shanahan style of offense. It does not let you run any kind of offense because it's a terrible offensive line. And it is what it is. And they're partly responsible for it. You could point sure. to Jason hoteling. If you want to, you can report, you can point to Andre Dillard. You could point to, uh, you know, waiting till the sixth round to draft another tackle. You could point to NPF and his gambling issues. And then him being a uh, J Rob drafting him. J-Rob drafting Isaiah Wilson, J-Rob drafting Dylan Ravens. I mean, it's sticking with Aaron Brewer is, is another one. Like, you can point to all kinds of people to blame for this offensive line. But then at the end of the day, the Tennessee Titans, this may be their worst, outside of the Browns, the worst matchup they've faced because they, these guys were just stronger, meaner, and faster 
on the defensive line for the Texans than the Tennessee Titans were on the offensive line. It's just you couldn't do it. It it all like you said, it all goes back to the offensive line. There, there's no question about that. But I want to like removing them because we understand that they just get the vast majority of the blame for everything that's happening. Offense, outcome of games, etc. Problems. Uh, again, going back to the Will Levis's inability to, because again, still 52% of his passing happens between zero and 19 yards, which is the short and intermediate passing game. But that is, I'm assuming, among the worst in the NFL, just packaging those two numbers together. Uh, lowest percentage. So they use it less than anybody else. How much of that is the receiving core? How much of that is Tim Kelly's system? And how, for, again, acknowledging fully that the offensive line is number one. But how much of that is, well, Kyle Phillips, once again, not healthy and not able to create some of those opportunities. Chig should well, be. Well, if he in, was healthy, he'd be just a scratch because that's what they do. To, Chig should be the guy that's in those in those those routes. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins does catch a lot of those passes. They generally are more on the sideline. He did drop a he did drop one or two intermediate passes yesterday where he was kind of hitting the shoulder and didn't look like he was paying attention, which was odd um, for a guy like that who's a future Hall of Famer. So, I mean, again, I, Kelly doesn't seem like the problem. And maybe the receiving core, I, I, I think the receiving core has well, got the I pieces mean, to do it. We we looked at it. Who Number one and number two in attempts and a percentage of attempts were deep shots. It's Will Levis and Ryan Tannehill. They're number so, one and number two in deep shots percentages out of, you know, minimum 23 attempts. They're number one, number two. So even in the six games that Ryan Tannehill was in, he was number one. So that's Kelly then too. That's a system. Yeah. Yeah. That's but that's okay. That's what the that's what everybody is wanting, right? Yeah. To some okay. degree. Okay. To some degree. Everybody's yeah. wanting it. You know, you can't go come back and say, "Well, now I don't want this." No, the offensive line is preventing everything else. Like to me. I, I hate keep coming back to those five guys, but those five guys, <laughs> and really it's been about seven or eight of them, are are just not good. Out of Skaronsky, you have one starter on the offensive line for 2024. You can't bring anybody back. You can maybe talk me into putting Brunskill, keeping him at right guard, putting him at center if you want to. I'm okay. He's played center. He's played right guard. I'm fine with it. If You could talk me into maybe Raiden's is, is a guard. Okay, maybe you can talk me into maybe he gets the right guard. Maybe he should try center. I don't know. He's not a tackle. But the Tennessee Titans are right now have no center and two no tackles on this roster for 2024. I I can't trust Jalen Duncan. Jalen Duncan's Duncan's a great guy, and maybe he, you know, develops down the road into a, a Dennis Kelly type player. You can't put him out there in 2024. He's a ball of clay, like an injury. He's yeah. a ball of clay right now. Uh, I just I think there is ultimately a conversation about Will Levis's upside at certain things. I don't think there's any question about his upside as a 10-year starting quarterback for the Titans that gives him a chance to make the playoffs. But I do think and this Sunday was one of the first times and again, it's not his fault cuz the offensive line. I get it. And the play calling wasn't ideal and Derrick Henry was featured too much and you know, the receiving core is not elite. Like there's a lot of reasons why I'm not judging Will Levis too harshly in any of these games. But there's a part of me now that we've got like this six, seven, eight game body of work that starts to, I'm starting to formulate what Will Levis can be. And it's again, maybe it's not super fair, but I do think that there, this like sort of accuracy on these really pinpoint intermediate routes are going to kind of always be an issue for him, even with a good offensive line, good receiving core, good play calling. It doesn't mean he's not going to have moments of brilliance where he does it like against Miami, but that's always going to be his area of, "Quote unquote weakness" or the thing he's going to have to work on the most. Let's say it's not going to be leadership. Yeah, I, not, I agree you know. because he's a four. He's got forty two point six completion percentage, and if you account for drops and this and that and all that, it only jumps up to forty six point eight. And that's on the intermediate throws, right? So that's the intermediate that's from ten to nineteen yards. So he's going to have to to work on that. But again. I also go back to the point where I think that he also has to work on not having to look at those deep shots. Like he needs to just take ease. If you look at what the Cincinnati Bengals have done with Jake Browning, they have developed a short to intermediate passing game, quick Nuts. passing game to help his development. That's what they need to be doing with Levis. And that is, but that's also 
going to help your offensive line too. These deep shots are great, and I'm glad that they're taking deep shots, but the quarterback is ultimately responsible for where he looks, who he targets. What, where is his head going? Is it staying downfield? Is it avoiding not taking these shots? And we've seen a f- plays more often than not where he's only looking down the field and not looking short. So they can coach him. They can put in these plays. Maybe they have to take away any kind of deep shot <laughs> route for him to start looking. Maybe it's just all slants, like all slants every time. <laughs> all the way down the field until he just is more comfortable with these throws. But that's something that he has to work on just as much as they do. Right. That is, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. to me going into 2024, it's about improving that 10 to 19 range because he's really accurate from zero to nine. I mean, we're talking about a 78.3 completion percentage and anywhere in the zero to nine range of the field. So he's doing really oh, good. There. Okay. 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 That's where I want to put a pit. Give me that number again. Cause this is what I'm about to say. 78.3. Sorry. 70. I may say 78.9, but 78.3. Zero to nine yards downfield. Yes. 78 com- completion percentage, 78% completion percentage. Uh, and when adjusted for drops, cause seven, of his uh, 13 drops come in that short range. So when you just for drops, 86.7. This is the issue here. I don't want him to stop being the deep ball shot taker because of the talent of the arm. If you're going to be first in the NFL in number of deep shots, which he is in as a percentage of throws, I'm fine with that. The category I want removed is then the, the intermediate, the 10 to 19, he right now 33% of his throws are 0 to 9 yards down the field. That's dead last. And if that is by far his most accurate throw, that is the thing you need to work in. Oh by the way, two main concepts of Tim Kelly's offense are these man-beating crossing routes where an outside receiver delays and then comes back under and then the first receiver in a trip set comes all the way across. I think he calls it arches or something like that. There's another one where they have twins to the one side and they're doing crossing routes. It's a great way to beat man coverage it's a great way to create a, sh- a short quick passing game that can beat some pressure as well like it all works together you see like okay this was a thing that tim kelly did in houston he's not doing it as much here certainly the offensive line and the personnel and the receiving core might be limiting that but don't tell me you can't use all the creativity we talked about in the preseason tajay spears Chigaconquo, whatever put guys into positions to get them into a place where will levis is actually really good which is that zero to nine yards down the field. Maybe the the 10 to 19 yard intermediate game just will not be a thing that he beats teams on until later on in his career. And that might be a thing. And they, maybe that limits his upside to not win a Super Bowl. I don't know. But he's good at taking deep shots and he's pretty good in the first 10 yards. Why is he dead last in the NFL at attempts in that range, percentage-wise? That, that to me, is Kelly, Vrabel, Levis needing to come together and figure the shit out. Like that, That's not on the yeah. offensive line. That's on the three of them. Let me say this. Um, Tom Brady, not saying Will Levis is Tom Brady, but you know, <laughs> Tom Brady's bread and butter was sh- the short game. Zero to nine yards, 73.1%. Now, he was really good in the medium game, too. Specifically, yep. that the Super Bowl year when uh, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rock <laughs> Kurkowski, all those guys. Jesus, he was really good there too. But he makes the the dink and dunk. That's what he did. And when you have a quarterback that's re- and he was at forty three point three percent in that Super Bowl run, short zero to nine. So forty three point three percent of his attempts were that short area. So obviously, Will Levis has to bump up that or the Tennessee Titans have to bump up that usage, but they have to get him to take it. Like they, yeah, he yeah. has to start taking it. And again, that comes back to coaching and execution, but player execution, having a perfect marriage, right? So this yep. is on them to yep. break a bad half or to reel it in. Because like I said, I would rather have the guy that takes the deep shots that risks it. than have the gun shy guy. Because you can't teach the gun-shy guy to go deep all the time. You can't teach him to be willing to throw it into tight windows. You can't teach that. He's too scared. So I'd rather have the guy that's fearless, but let's get him to be be more mindful that he can take these these easy passes. And that, that, again, you can coach it all you want. It's like these people who blame penalties on coaching. 
<laughs> Defensive pass interference is taught in high school. Offsides, false, false starts, starts, false starts, all that stuff are are taught in high school. Dylan Raiden's got to the NFL and had never been coached on how to not to false start before. Yeah. 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 Like spare me that this, the penalties are a coaching issue. I just, yeah. I cannot wrap my head around it now. And, and here, this is a fixable issue, but it has to be fixed. We have to teach Will Levis, you know, if I'm Charles London, we we're we're there in the meeting, Charles London. I God, I hope they keep Charles London out of all the staffers. I don't care if Rabel's fired, traded. I don't care if uh, Tim Kelly's gone. Don't give a shit. Out of all the staffers that are most important to Will Levis's development, it's clearly Charles London. And Charles London's got to stay in some capacity. I don't know what you do, but I am fearful that people are going to see the development of Will Levis and see that he's doing really good things and see that once he left Desmond Ritter, Desmond Ritter has gotten worse and he's going, and they saw him at the senior bowl being offensive coordinator. I am deathly afraid that someone is going to wise up and bring Charles London as an offensive coordinator yeah, in 2024. Yeah. And so to me, like you have to keep that, but he has to work on with Will Levis taking the, the, the easy outs more often than not. And these are pimps are, are skewed. And remember they're calculated based on what he does. Yep, it's not necessarily yep. that they're calling all these plays to be this. Right. He is choosing to take these shots. This is anecdotal, and I'd have to pull up the actual throw chart of the two drives to like make sure I get it exactly correct. But I'm pretty positive. If you look at the last two drives against Miami, the two famous drives that sort of cemented him as like this potential star moving forward, you had a lot of dump-offs short to Tajay Spears. You had a two two Tajay Spears throws that were little out routes. One was underhanded that was zero to nine yards. You had two passes to Chig that were zero to nine yards. You had the corner route to NWI, which was way over 20 yards. I do think the first big play to Hopkins was in that intermediate, that 10 to 19 yards. But maybe even that one was passed. But I, I still think that one was probably an intermediate route. What I'm saying is, is, even off the top of my head, just remembering those two drives, they were exclusively one or two deep shots and a bunch of zero to nine yards. There might've been one that was a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage, but by and large, those, those are playing to his strengths. So you've got to get the coaching staff, the personnel in the field and the player, the quarterback to play to the strengths. And that's something okay. that they have to work on from here on out. Let's look at yesterday's game. Okay. Deep 42.3% of his passes, pass attempts went deep. 19.2 went intermediate 10 to 19. 23.1 went short, and 15.4, which is probably still too high based on that, went to the screen game. 100% even completion percentage. Listen, 100% completion percentage on screens, 100% completion percentage on short. He went six for six. 40% in the medium, two for five. 45.5% completion percentage deep, five for 11. His turnover-worthy plays were all both Deep. No turnover-worthy plays anywhere else. And if you adjust for completion percentage, guess what? It stays at 45.5 and 40% because there were no drops. His pressures, though, came his three main... Um, is that? Am I reading that right? I can't read that. You, well, quick, quick observation there. Pressure of any kind generated by the defense. That doesn't seem... seems 42%, very low. 11 attempts of 20 yards or more is, t- is too many when you have the lead 13 to nothing most of the game. That, yeah. That's, that's too many. But he was perfect on short, and but he got pressured the most on short. So, <laughs> so you so know, figure, like, it out. <laughs> figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's crazy right. that that this is where you're at because you see these good things, and then you take into account, okay, these are really good stats that I'm reading off at the beginning, right? Especially for the short and the behind the line scrims. You're like, why aren't they doing more short and line behind the line of scrim? Well, it's because he's getting pressured the most. Um on those short throws. He only got one first down. That doesn't make any throws. sense he, though. Right. I mean, like outside of it, play action, giving you a half a second more from a pressure standpoint, it doesn't, it should not make sense that you get more pressure on the, on the sec, the six yard route than you do on the, the 25 yard route. <laughs> it doesn't make right? any sense. Hey, that's, that is the, con- this is this offense. This offensive line makes the offense so nonsensical. I think that is that I, think that is the perfect way to describe this offense is that 
the stats and the data and what you see on the film. It's just all nonsensical. It doesn't make any fucking sense. <sighs> all right. Um, Derrick Henry after the game. We'll wrap this up. Um, Derrick Henry after the game sounded like a, a very different Derrick Henry than I've ever covered. I covered him in Alabama, covered him in high school, and have covered him here basically every day of his career since he got here. I moved into the local media in 2016. He was that's basically uh, about when he was was here. And so I, you heard a player that sounded pretty defeated. Yes, it was after a game in which he had the worst performance by a human being in an NFL uniform <laughs> in 70 years. So certainly that's a part of this. But combine it, that with the Miami game. Combine that with the Miami game. And, and, and it's just, it does feel like fans need to sort of accept this. I think if you're smart and cynical, you're probably going like, this is bound to happen. Let's try to enjoy it. We're out of the playoffs. There's no pressure. Let's enjoy it. But like, this is probably a step that needs to happen moving forward in the NFL. If you want to be successful, it's Tajay Spears time, but I've just never heard him like talk like that. And that's uh, disheartening. It's on Mike Vrabel to keep him and the rest of the, the team focused and energized and motivated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, competing to try to win games and, and, and provide fans enjoyment. But that's a different Derrick Henry than I've ever heard. And uh, I think it's if, if there was any doubt, Zach, that Derrick Henry is not coming back, I think Sunday afternoon put that put put that to bed. So I mean they tried to trade him, so I'm not surprised. But at yeah. the end of the day, um I guess you you would call it as uh what the kids call it. He's going out sad. Uh n- Literally, he is sad. You can tell <laughs> he's dejected. I mean, these last two weeks, you know, let me say something about yesterday. Nine carries for 16 yards, right? Or no, uh, no. Sorry, 16 carries for nine yards. I had that flip. 16 carries for nine yards. He was only expected. When, when you look at rush yards over expected, which takes out the offensive line, right? It takes account to the player is, the player's history, the historical data. Rush yards over expected. He was only going to get 16 for 32. That was what they expected him to get on those 16 rushes with 32 yards. Which a reminder, he was 17 for 30-something last week. It's not all the offense. Yesterday, the offensive line was terrible. But even yeah. if the offensive line played to their to their average standard, he still was only going to get 32, 32 yards. Uh, and... He, I also don't any fan, I, I don't need any fancy metrics to tell me that four catches for one yard is not good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's very slow. To get his average time to get to the line of scrimmage is the sixth slowest time in week 15. The sixth slowest out of 29 running backs. That is the difference between Tajay Spears and Derrick Henry. I think is the biggest difference is that Tajay Spears has juice. He can shrink down behind a bad offensive line. He can find creases that Derrick Henry can't fit through. Whatever small little bit of space is there yesterday. But they they I, he's got he's had a great career. I've loved Derrick Henry ever since he put on Alabama uniform. I think he's been great for the Tennessee Titans. D. Henber is totally dead. Is not he, there is the 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 season to be believing in Derrick. <laughs> any longer and i if he continues to play i hope he goes and goes to a team with a fantastic run blocking offensive line because that's all you're going to be able to get any kind of use out of him is if the offensive line is amazing he cannot create yards yeah by himself anymore uh deandre swift and derrick henry package together behind the eagles offensive line probably would work pretty well um, yeah. but, but here's the deal. This is, this is like what we always say on the show, two things that appear to be contradictory can be true. And you can hold them at the same time in your head, which is that Derrick Henry is among the greatest Titans of all time. One of the most important players of his generation, one of the great running backs of his time. And he has had a great career that everyone should love and root for. And that it is time to go. Yeah. yeah I think you said, um, in, in, in the text, when we were talking about what we were going to do on the show, and you said, Henry Farewell Tour, enjoy it. And I go, Henry Farewell Tour, enjoy what? <laughs> it's more like it. Because are you going to sit here and really enjoy two yards per carry the rest yeah. of the way? Because they still play the Texans again. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I, I will say uh, that last game, though, where Nissan Stadium will be the last it's ever going to look like that, and it's the last game that he's ever going to play probably in a Titans uniform. 
I think it's okay to just take the two yards to carry and, and, and keep in your mind the 99 yard stiff arm run. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, they're not in the playoffs. There's not a lot of pressure. Uh, I think if nothing else losing on Sunday has allowed that cloud to be lifted or that stress or whatever. And I think there, I think he's got one final curtain call. I think he does. I don't, I don't think it's a 99 yard run or anything, but, but I think he's going to have a final curtain call where he does something that reminds everybody of what he's been like. And everyone's going to go, God bless. We love you. Maybe a single tear will roll down your cheek and uh, that'll be it. And he'll take his time walking off the stadium floor. And I think he deserves everything he's going to get, but um, it's also okay to be like, look, Tajay Spears is better and the offense is better with 32 and they got to go that direction. So um, all these things can be true at the same time in your head. Okay. Um, Special thanks to the sinkers and to the Kingston group, of course, for supporting us stacking the inbox.com football and other F words. Um, all the, all the great folks that help this show uh, go all you listeners and all you subscribers. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, there's too many in here, Puka and Trey and Ed and Joshua and, you know, Polar and Donnie and PBK and uh, just so many of you guys in here that are here. Oh, by the way, day, I don't know if you know this. This was Will Levis's fourth legacy game in a row, according to Pretty Boy Kelly on X. Okay. He's, he's called the last four games. Each one has been a legacy game. Uh, hey, I think, wait, yeah, I got to quit using that term. Yeah, let's not use that. Carlos, Andrew, Kenneth, Kyle, PX Titan. Uh, just want to try to mention it. Jason, as many of you guys as possible. So thank you guys for listening and hanging out with us. QC Hawk, all you guys. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday, of course, uh, to preview the Christmas holiday weekend. Um, he is Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall. Thank you to Sinkers. Thank you to Kingston Group. Uh, Otherwise, have a great one, and we'll talk to you on Thursday.